0: Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Find Woodworking's bi-weekly podcast. I'm your host, Tom McKenna, and with me this week, as always, are Mike Pekovich Hey, guys. And Matt Kenny. Howdy. Behind the camera way over yonder are uh, Ben Strano and yep. Jeff Rose. Hello. Hey. hey, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff.
1: Gentlemen. How's, how's it going? Good.
0: Awesome. It's almost New Year's. Hey, we'll jump right to the questions. It, this this uh, is
1: posting after New Year's. <laughs>
0: men. (laughs) Rewind. So what'd you guys do for New Year's anyway? Partied like it was 1999. It was awesome.
2: All right. Got drunk and cried in my shop. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Tears on my table saw. All right. How do you select shellac flakes? Asks Connor. Uh, I see Mike uses Brooklyn tool and craft brand. Are the Tiger Flakes any better or worse than the cheaper bags of shellac by the same company? Also, if shellac flakes can go bad with age, does the same thing not happen to the shellac once it has been applied to the workpiece? Is it going bad just in terms of the ability of the flakes to dissolve and be applied? All right. Hit it up first, Mike.
3: Yeah. um, I do use that uh, brand. I use other... um, brands of shellac flakes as well that's one that my local woodcraft happens to sell um basically anytime i'm buying shellac flakes i tend to look for either like a a blonde or a light colored wax shellac um because i'm usually not trying to impart any real heavy tones with the shellac except for maybe if i'm fuming oak i will hit it with some garnet shellac just to kind of warm things up just a little bit um one shellac company i really like and i bought uh, lots of shellac f- from is net. Actually, I came across them because they were the kind of the sole retailer of the remaining supply of the lemon-scented wax in the cool tins, which is not made anymore. But I still get their shellac. It's a...
2: Goddard's. Goddard's,
3: yes. Right. Yeah, and you can get Goddard's wax and it smells kind of like lemons and it's a round plastic thing. It is not the tin. It's not the same wax so stop emailing me and say, Mike, you can still get it. No, you can't. Except I make my own now. So yes, I can.
2: You can get Goddard Space Wax. so much better. You send in the shuttle. Uh, yes. We'll get that.
3: notions about <laughs> shellac going bad... Um, <clears throat> No. Once it's on a piece of furniture, it's not going to go bad. Um, However, both shellac and flake form and liquid form do have a shelf life. And it's really easy to tell. Um, For flakes, if you try to mix them up and they don't mix, if they don't dissolve, it's bad. Throw them out. Nothing you can do. You can't put them in a coffee grinder and grind them smaller because you'll just have smaller pieces not dissolving. Um, And liquid stuff, if you're not sure, put it on a, a piece of glass or something and it should dry hard within 10 minutes. If it stays sticky and gummy, that's
2: bad too. Throw yeah. that
0: out. And if the uh, top of the can explodes off of the can, it's probably yes.
2: bad. Yes. Just yeah. happened that, to Ed Pernick once. Yeah. Happened that, to me too. He was pretty ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did three episodes of the podcast about Ed's experience with the exploding can.
0: <laughs> it is kind of freaky when it happens. <laughs> yeah.
3: And Michael Fortune's knife.
2: Yes, <laughs> kniff. Kniff. It's called a canif. Yeah. Reoccurring theme. Does he use, exit? Does he use
0: yeah. to, to carve his canoe? Yeah. Oh, come on. All um. right. Oh, oh. <laughs> Do we have anything to add about shellac I think uh, I don't know. But now I'm just thinking of hairy canoe. <laughs> why with the ganache?
1: <laughs> why test it on on glass?
3: Anything non-porous. Okay. So it doesn't soak in. It could be.
2: I don't know. Don't <laughs> like, your, like your heart. Oh. <laughs> what happened to my audio? Oh, oh, we man.
0: missed Matt's best joke ever.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, question number two. This one is from Randy. And Randy says or asks, how much reveal is the correct amount around doors and drawers? To be sure that expansion due to seasonal humidity changes doesn't cause binding. I've heard it suggested that the goal was a thirty second of an inch.
2: I should like to show just a
0: little bit of ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean it's a foot? Yeah.
3: He said doors. <laughs> doors not your drawers.
2: Uh, well, he said doors. Both. <laughs> both. Doors and drawers. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: What well, is going? What on is happening?
2: <laughs> <laughs> who wants to answer first? <clears throat> I think we have can answer from two different perspectives, right? Cuz we decided that the answer really depends on the scale of the stuff you're making.
0: Yeah. And that's it.
3: Yeah, uh,
2: Chris crispects
3: for who builds, you know, more standard size pieces of furniture and such his rule of thumb is a dime gap top and bottom and a nickel on the sides.
2: For a door?
3: For a door. Yeah. Which um, you know, that's probably closer to maybe a sixteenth top and bottom and an eighth. He builds furniture in Maine, you know, that you know, where in the wintertime it's probably pretty dry. Mm-hmm. And he's shipping furniture all over the country and he does not want to call from California, that um, a door or a drawer sticks. Right. So I think he's definitely pretty conservative in terms of leaving gaps and such. Yeah. Um, I probably do about the same. Maybe skinny sixteenth top and bottom. Um, what's really important to me is that the reveal is the same top and bottom, and you know it needs to be wide enough for the door to open without hitting. Um, but the really important thing is not necessarily the width of the gaps, but the fact that the gaps are even all the way around the drawer, which means often the case isn't square. So it's really important to fit your door mm-hmm. to that unsquare space yeah, if right. necessary. So it's even all the way around. Yeah. But yeah. your stuff, Matt, is more on the small side. I'm sure your gaps are quite Tiny. A bit smaller.
2: Yeah, so because um, w- wood expands. And contracts more the wider it is Mm -hmm. so i often use uh you know like a door that i just made had styles that were maybe an inch and a quarter wide so and they're also quarter sawn so the amount of movement they're going to have is very minimal and uh so i'll make the gaps actually quite small a lot of times uh, the gap depends on the hinge too so if i'm using like a knife hinge or a knif hinge, um, then I will make the gap all the way around the same as the thickness of the spacer between the two halves of the hinge. Okay. Um, and uh, that works for pretty well um in you know especially if the door is like a uh, you know like a, a plywood core
3: then so that's it, not moving at all
2: yeah that's not moving at all then it's fine uh with a uh, butt hinge um i try to i normally try to make it the same size as the natural gap in the hinge when the door closes yeah uh sometimes though actually that's too much uh on really small stuff so i'll make it even smaller Uh, about a sixteenth of an inch is probably normally where I am, maybe sometimes a little bit smaller Mm -hmm. than that. And I've not had uh, problems with binding. But again, uh, you know, generally in winter, you make the gap a little bit bigger. And in summer, you can make it a little bit smaller uh, because you know it's not going to get any bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, my shop I know right now was down to like 35% humidity recently, which is really pretty low.
3: So you're building your drawers half the height of the opening. Room. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, and they expand like five inches, <laughs> they're like this, they're like a sponge. Yeah. I mean, think about it, like you know, and I know, like say in Salt Lake City, I've been there at Times so work with Chris Gockner when the humidity's been like four percent. Yeah, it's crazy dry. Yeah, I think if you, so you may, and that was in the summer. (laughs) In the the winter, it's even worse. Um, No, uh, Actually, maybe it's more humid there because of all the snow. But um, think how hard it is for him to like make something that he's got to ship to say Florida. And think of the difference that, that, I mean, that could be fairly significant. But um, yeah, so I usually make my gap smaller because I'm working on smaller scale.
0: It's funny, I don't have a measurement in my head. (laughs) I used to use like, like just two business cards around doors was kind of my goal. Uh-huh. But, um, as long as it's even and I kind of just judge it and I'm not shipping anything anywhere. So I know, you know, like Matt said, I'm, when I'm building in different seasons, I accommodate the gap in different ways. But um, for drawers, I just aim for an even re- reveal all around. It's kind of my a simple rule that I try to follow and learn by just, you know, not having to, not having a big enough gap and having to, you know, replane a drawer here and there. So yeah. I,
2: I just kind of have it. I think I have it down finally for at least the stuff I build for my own home. Yeah. The even gap thing is really critical. It took me a while to, to sort of realize that, Yeah, you know, I wish someone had told me that,
0: you well, what, know, what, eight,
2: like 15 years ago. Yeah. But, um, Oh, lot so nowadays stuff my stuff my case has come out pretty square it's not an issue but in the past I mean I've gotten out a bevel gauge and you know <laughs> gotten the angle and transferred it to the yeah. door to ensure that things came out parallel right. to the and case that's a
0: point that that Mike made before and that's right. really important you can make a great square door but hey guess what you know you're it's not fitting your opening your yeah. actual opening it's just like carpentry in a way um, but if, the same goes for drawers if you build a drawer pocket slightly out of square you kind of have to you know work around that as well if you can right hopefully you don't have to but
2: it is amazing what a parallel gaps or you know an even gap how much it hides
3: mm-hmm. yes because that's yeah. kind
2: of what your eye picks up on <clears throat> that this gap is consistent all the way around and so it hides the fact that your door is you know The corners are at, like, you know, 97 degrees or (laughs) whatever. And chamfers can help, you know, situations like that, too. Chamfers, yeah. Yeah,
3: a little taper chamfer. That can even out a gap, you know, the shadow line. Mm I maybe have done that.
2: (laughs) There's some little tricks here, there. But when, in fact, when you're fitting a door in a case that's out of square, I've always found that, you know, the hinge side, that has to you that make has, that yeah. straight. Well, yeah, everything that, else is easy, and then everything yeah. else is angled accordingly. Yeah,
3: yes, you, that's your reference. Yeah, your reference. because that is going to be parallel if you get your hinges to the right depth. Yes, you know that's one angle that is not going to change. Correct. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So Matt, when when you when you set a door, uh, reveal less than the hinge gap. Yeah. Are you are you deepening the mortise on the? Case side or on the door side for the hinge?
2: Uh, I've done it on the door side is normally where I do it, a little bit deeper. Not, I don't do it too much deeper, just a little bit deeper. You know, then it's just the – I mean, it's just that the hint, that gap might be a little bit bigger than the rest of them. But, I mean, there's just not too much I can do there. And, and in that case, it's normally better to use a knife hinge. Uh, because you can get those gaps even all the way around, and a knife hinge gap is smaller than a butt hinge gap. So it's just sometimes it's just like this cabinet I'm making now. The problem was is that knife hinges only come in brass, and it's a walnut cabinet, and I didn't want brass and walnut. And so I bought some butt hinges from Horton because they come in a variety of nice finishes. And uh, so I was kind of stuck there. Um, But, uh, I mean, you can, I guess, with brass, you can fume it, and it gets a little bit darker.
1: Silver Sharpie, man.
2: Or you can just put a Sharpie all over it. (laughs) Who is that guy? (laughs) Yeah, that's it.
3: I think that um, Horton... Brasses because they have the brass hinges in various levels of patina. You know, mm-hmm. some really, really mm-hmm. dark. And I'm pretty sure they can. They sell the chemical that's used to um,
2: oh, make them really it. dark. They do.
3: Yeah. So if you're you know drilling out hinges or or maybe you scratch the brass and it's really bright, or you want to match the brass uh, screws that you just picked up, you can use that to uh, color everything.
2: I had no idea. Yeah. I'm going to buy some of that. That's what I want for Christmas.
3: Let's hope they actually sell it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's
0: not toxic, too. Oh, yeah. It's just like rotten eggs, like sulfur or something. Uh,
2: and the water in my house would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's move on.
0: It is time for our all-time favorite article of all time for this week. Uh, you want to hit it up first, Mike? Sure. This goes
3: all the way back to issue... I say 126 126 my first um, issue working the magazine was 122 so I was a greenhorn at this time Um, I was tasked with heading out to Mendocino to College of the Redwoods with our photography director at the time Boyd Hagen and my job was to sort of quote-unquote direct a photo shoot which really meant nothing because I'd been there just a couple issues and I didn't even know how to like Shoot a camera, so I'm not going to tell our photo director how to take a picture. However, um, two reasons—it's a pair of articles um, that were in the same issue. One, uh, James Krenov wrote a short essay on the wonders of tools and wooden hand planes, and that accompanied an article by David Welter, who taught at the school for a number of years, um, on making the Krenov-style wooden hand plane. So, um, obviously. It's uh, the visit was awesome because I got to meet you know one of my um, lifelong inspirations of the craft, James Krenov, and got some books signed and all that good kind of stuff. That was really cool. However, um, the other really important thing and why I like the article is because it was the first time where someone, this being David Welter, um, put a sharp hand plane in my hand, and I was able to take a shaving with it, and it was like the most. It was, Eye-opening. It's like, oh, this is what a hand plane does, and of course, I thought, oh, this is what a Krenoff-style wooden <laughs> hand plane does, because I've used an old beat-up Stanley, and that didn't work like this at all. Um, and David said, uh, no, this is just a sharp plane. He's like, okay. Now I know what Sharp is. Now I know what a Sharp tool can do. And from then on, it was just, you know, what do I need to do to get back to that with the planes that I own? So that, that had been my sort of my life-changing event, and it was tied into that
0: article. Cool. Nice. Nice story. Mm-hmm. What issue was that, 122? 126. 126. Wow. I wasn't that far behind you. Huh. I think I was like 129 or 128. Wow. I had the uh, surgeon on the cover was my first.
3: Oh, yeah, through. the dentist <laughs> the with the, <laughs> with the with random with orbit the sander. sander yeah. yeah, there you go. Good times. <laughs> yeah.
2: How all about right. you, Matt? Uh, well, so I have a bit of a peck of answer here because uh, I want to do two. Yeah. One of them I just want to show my all-time favorite cover of all time, which is an article. Uh, but uh, it's not my favorite article of all time. Um, my favorite cover of all time, Can we, I'm going to show this, Oh yes! It is from issue number 85, and I have no idea what's been showing up on the screen there.
1: I, you're the one that you emailed me about.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> but this cover is three nutcrackers, and in the article, the guy names each nutcracker.
3: I did not know that. It is
2: fantastic. <laughs> um and uh, maybe by the time I'm done talking about my other one, I'll open it to the right page and I'll tell you the names of the Nutcrackers. But it is fa- it's fantastic. So I love that cover.
3: It's back in the era of Nutcrackers, nutcrackers. wooden sunglass and frames, pool cues, pool cues. and
2: Klompen. Klompen. <laughs> We love the clumping. Yeah. This is a fantastic cover. So um, anyways, maybe Ben will be able to put that up on the website.
0: <laughs> I just think it's hilarious the one guy in the center is like saluting. Well, in the
2: article, actually, the two other guys, the green guy and the blue guy, are having a sword fight in my picture.
0: <laughs> Seriously? Yeah.
2: It's awesome. Um, and I, whenever anyway, I meet someone and they, and they talk about the old issues, and that's the first thing I think about is – See, the two guys. <laughs> Sorry, it's the blue and the red guy. There. Well, they're having a sword funny. fight. Uh, no, this is, I know this is not great radio, has it been? Great audio, excuse me. Uh, I right, names. never
1: stopped us before. <laughs>
2: here, here okay, so one, the green guy, I believe, his name is Cornelius Crownhart. Uh, then he has two friends, Tobias True Blue and Reginald Righteous. Nice. So those are the nutcrackers. Anyways. Awesome. But my real favorite all-time article of this week is an article by John Arno, who, in my opinion, is one of the best authors fine woodworking ever had because this guy could talk about wood species.
3: Yes, he could. Both
2: from the scientific aspect and also from a woodworker's perspective. So the one I chose this time is about cherry. And it's a great article, I think, because um, he – gives a very complete picture of cherry in our ecosystem and also cherry and why it ages the way it ages. So he talks about cherry being a nurse tree and how it's the first to grow um, after, say, a fire or something, um, and how about how also eventually it's crowded out. And he even goes in to explain how, for example – uh, we've all seen, like in Cherry, there's sometimes you get these pitch pockets or gum pockets. Mm-hmm. He explains why there are gum pockets. Because once it starts to get crowded out and it's harder for it to grow and get sunlight, it gets weaker, and that's when bugs move in. And when bugs move in, Cherry produces gum to fight the infestation. Hmm. So there's more gum in the lumber. Hmm. then.
0: Wow. D- does that pocket cause bubbling on the finish?
2: No, not in my experience. <laughs> but it is a gum, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, uh, Yeah, you guys didn't get that. That um, no, was sorry. Yeah. I, I do like it. <laughs>
3: I like the pitch pockets in Cherry.
2: I do. I love Some little pitch pockets. people
3: think they're defects, but I think they're cool.
2: Yeah. I really like them. I like them. And he talks, goes into how extractives uh, contribute to the difference in the heartwood and the sapwood in Cherry, which is a, it's a fascinating thing. And it happens with all woods that, you know, these extractives, as they move Uh, Into the hardwood, and they, uh, they, I I believe, in since it's kind of not dead, but dead, like you know, the hardwood no longer moves uh, sap in the tree, and so these extractives uh, change color, Mm -hmm. and but uh, so he talks about that to some uh, quite a while, and he sort of explains how cherry is one of the few woods that it has photosensitive extractives and so that it darkens over time rather than lightens over time. He does mention another wood that has photosensitive extractives, which cherry becomes beautiful as it ages. This other wood becomes hideous as it ages. Here we go. Well, yeah, you know what it is.
1: <laughs> purple heart. <laughs> it's purple heart. <laughs> uh,
2: purple heart becomes a horrible shade of brown as it ages. Um, anyways, uh, and then he also... Go, he talks about. He says there's five different types of cherry wood oh. uh, that you know, mm-hmm. and there's just the kind that we all think of that's really clear, beautiful cherry. There's the kind with the with gummy stock, as he calls it. Uh, you have uh, what is he calls he calls it variegated cherry, which I like because I've used the word variegated around here, and people look at me like I'm an alien, but. Uh, and you are (laughs) (laughs) i might be um so that's when you have both heartwood and sapwood in it so that's three and then he talks about uh figured and then the fifth kind which he really likes and i i think you'll recognize there's sometimes you get cherry he calls it uh what's the color he says chartreuse and green highlights so, mm. I, you know, there's definitely sometimes you get cherry with, yeah. with a hint of green right. to it, and and he really likes that. Um, so it's just this fantastic article that covers – there is a little bit in here about working with cherry, but so much more information about cherry in general that I think fills in – the larger context of the of what you're doing with this species and helps you use. I think helps me use it better. Helps me understand it better, and also helps connect you back to in a way the or, you know where this material comes from. You know, it helps you and I, I kind of I like that myself. I you know I don't see wood as wood's a unique material to build with. It's not like it's well. There's a lot of materials like stone. Uh, you know, cl- uh, clay or mud, whatever they call it. Uh, potters call it. I don't know. What, I think at one time I called it mud to a potter, and they got all angry with me. But um, <laughs> you know, and uh, then I remembered he was a ghost, and I just ignored him. <laughs> but anyways, I like this. 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 You know that this. When I use uh, wood, one of the things I like about it is that it's. You know that it, it's origin in the environment. And there's this connection to. You know our or the living world, you know mm-hmm. so one of the things that i I remember one of my first
0: photo shoots with a for a project was with Garrett Hack when he built um the hunt board, and he gave me a really good lesson on cherry. He was talking about the wood that he was using in the in the sideboard and how it was going to age over time, and he pointed to his wall where he's got cherry basically cherry boards as you know interior siding for lack of a better word, but where he had some. Um, either a cabinet or a machine like in front of the cherry and he had moved it you could see how it, the difference between the, the portion that got the sunlight and the one that didn't and it right. was just kind of a cool uh, I guess intro into how wood really really ages and, and colors and it was kind of before I started thinking about wood you know, down the road, you know, yeah. like making something out of walnut and how that's going to age and, right. you know, I see it in the stuff I've built out of maple where it's really turned, you know, in some cases too yellow, but other cases just right.
3: Yeah, it's a, we get that question a lot. How do I keep this maple looking really, really white? Or how do I keep this wood from not looking differently in the future? And it's like, well, you, you don't. It's yeah. kind of, I think you build with the understanding what something is going to look like, not what it's looking like right when you build it
2: right yeah yeah Yeah, with cherry whenever i make something from cherry before i let it sit for you know a month or two months at least before i ever put anything on top of it so like a table Mm -hmm. or even if it's like a little cabinet you don't because if you put something up on it right away that is really going to be a dramatic difference where the sun doesn't hit it yeah but if you let it age for a while then you can put something on it and it doesn't show up like that
3: Yeah. if you do have a piece and you have a little doily on it and it's in the sun and you brought it in the house for a couple weeks and you pull the doily off and you have that horrible reverse image there left over just keep it in the sun for a while it's going to go away almost immediately so Mm -hmm. like you didn't ruin it it's not like it's going to stay that much lighter than the rest of the piece forever it'll all even out yes cool what you got Tom? Do you have two articles well, as
0: well? no, I, I don't have two favorites. He's got his favorite cover, too. Well, that's how I was going to hold that up. But <laughs> 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 um, I was—I have a contract I saw that I've talked about before, and, and I've been really lately um, putting a push on you know, making it a project to do a better job of dustproofing the opening. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of looking. I knew this article by uh, Richard Babbitt existed um, about how he – did his contractor saw. But in my search for that article, which I knew about, I came across another one by, uh, I think it was Richard, Dick McDonough. And um, his solution in this article was exactly what I was looking for in terms of um, simplicity, whereas the Babbitt solution was kind of build a bunch of boxes around oh, right, the motor right. and, and yes. put a dust port underneath. Um, I have a dust port on my saw, which is kind of useless because the whole back is open. It's open. <laughs> yeah. But uh, on, the, on the McDonough article, he has a really good solution to basically making a back plate that covers the opening and then accommodates all the, um, the motor parts. Oh, cool. So I have now a project. Uh-huh. Something that's really should be pretty easy to do. I think I don't think I'm going to screw it to the uh, the cabinet. I think I'm just going to use rare earth magnets if it, if that works out. Uh-huh. Just so I can pull yeah. it off easily if I need access to the inside. But um, it, it brought to mind that one of the things that that I've always loved about fine woodworking is not only the the furniture and the furniture we show and that we build or show people how to build, but it's the uh, the tool maintenance and tool tips and machine uh, knowledge and hand tool knowledge and um, I've always been one that has been hesitant to dive into machine maintenance in a heavy way because yeah. I'm just just intimidated by machines. I think you know I've never been a mechanic, right? But um, with guidance that we've shown before, you know, we really do a great job of showing the bare bones of how to you know tune up machines and how to make them work better.
3: Yeah. Good right. stuff. Yeah. So um, so you guys both had two different issues. At least I got articles from one issue. So: Listen.
2: Yeah, you know, one time does not make up for all the other times. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> all right. Moving on, Ben.: yep. All right. The, the next question comes from Thomas, and he says, I'm retired, and my wife and I are selling our home with the shop. We will be splitting our time between a small condo and a small house. Neither has space for even a small shop. I have rented a studio space near the condo where I plan to try pure hand tool woodwork. I have a good selection of hand tools, but I don't have a 25-inch rip saw. I have panel saws, but all are cross-cut. Should I refile one of my saws as a rip? Have it done professionally, or buy a new saw? Well, buy
2: a new saw. Buy a new saw. well, he has three <laughs> saws. <so laughs> he could three, sim- yeah. I would send one out to be refiled myself. I think initially. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I'd buy a new saw. <laughs> <laughs> I'd definitely buy a new saw. I mean, you know, what does, what does it hurt to have a new saw?
0: And what's the cost? Of, I wonder what the cost of, of getting a panel saw <clears throat> refiled would be. It shouldn't be
2: too bad. It would probably be in the neighborhood of 40 to 50, okay. 60 bucks. Um and there are, are people that will do that. I w- I think Matt Scienzi still does it.
3: Yeah. Uh, Matt still, has
2: a couple of my saws right now. Yeah, and I w- I've used uh Matt has uh done some work on one of my saws and it was really good. Um and I'm sure there are other people all over the country that do it as well. But Bad X has his prices
1: listed and
2: He for- refiles? Yeah.
1: Mhm. Mhm. And for sharpening and setting and jointing,
2: sixty bucks mm. for a panel saw, or he doesn't say. It doesn't specify. I don't know if it's like a uh, circular saw blade sharpening when they charge by the tooth. <laughs> I don't know. But
1: on a, I mean, a, a dovetail saw and a panel saw are gonna have the same number of teeth probably over the length. Ooh, okay.
3: that's you're right. It's sort of like a mouse, a mouse and an elephant have the same number of heartbeats in their lives.
0: What? <laughs>
3: right? It's just a, the mouse's heart beats much faster. Oh, my God. So, he uses them all up. <laughs> and this is true for all mammals except for humans because of, like, nutrition and medicine. We can get, like, an extra good portion of heartbeats out of our... Before we die,
0: random thoughts with Mike Pekovich. <laughs> so what? small small, small saw? I'll see you guys saw. later. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about this later because I don't. I you yeah, so think you're <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um
0: We ventured too far out of the bat cave. I think
3: so. You could get a, a new expensive saw, and it's going to be really awesome, and it's going to work really well. But if you can find like an old distant or something with a nice cool handle, and sometimes the blades are funky. I guess they could be pitted, but they also sort of lose their tension or something.
2: Mm-hmm. I know
3: there, there's some guidelines you can look at. I think Axe on their website, they have guidelines about kind of what you should look at if you're going to get an old saw. But if you get an old saw in good condition, which I don't think is difficult and it's not that expensive, and then you pay 60 bucks to have it sharpened, that's going to perform exactly the same as a brand new saw With the same guy who just sharpened it, I would say.
0: If I were going to rip by hand, I think I'd like a Japanese saw just so that I can stand on the board like Andrew Hunter showed in that article on Japanese hand saws. I just love that idea of, you know, if I'm going to rip, getting that big handled saw and just kind of going at it.
2: Yeah, I think if I retired... And was going to rip boards <laughs> with a handsaw, I would reevaluate my retirement. <laughs> well, he's probably doing
0: small, you know, he probably cross cuts small parts. You might think. not
2: have
3: room in your condo for a shop, but I bet you have room somewhere for a 14 inch bandsaw.
2: Yeah, he says he's renting a space, but he says, the, oh, one thing, thing we I'm left sorry. out was yeah, that I, he it, can't have machines. But I'm Dude. saying
3: you get a machine in your corner of your house put a little cabinet around yeah. it
2: put it in keep, a closet yes. and just wheel it out into the kitchen
3: yes and do all your <laughs> keep
2: it on the back <laughs> deck it's like a murphy
1: bed but it unveils a bandsaw <laughs> <laughs> that's right that would be awesome
3: <laughs> so yeah or you know the idea that okay you can't use hand tools in this little choppy shop but you can power the tools. studio power tools but you can have them somewhere else unless you're just you're really wanting it sounds like he just says not nah, this is a good excuse to do hand tool woodwork yeah
0: i mean in his in his note part another part that i had cut out was that he's he's his goal was to make small projects so i'd imagine that he's probably cross-cutting boards you know yeah. to a reasonable length and that's ripping cool. them at you know, that, yeah cross-cutting that point. Is, is the
2: ripping that is
0: that's pretty tedious yeah
2: <laughs> um but you know you're retired He's moving and he's renting studio space. Get a new saw. Get yourself a new saw. <laughs> Treat yourself right. You know?
0: That's, a, that's good advice. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. You don't want to make
0: that chore difficult right from the start.
2: Right. They're not. I mean, I know that a lot of times you hear this all the time that new tools like from Lee Nielsen or Bad Axe or Veritas are expensive. People think they're outrageously expensive. They're not, though. You know, when you consider what you're getting. You know, it's something that won't last forever. Yes. You know, so. Yeah, like
0: the Lee Nielsen saw is like two and a quarter.
2: Yeah. So. Not $2.25, but $225. Oh, that is too expensive. No. It's <laughs> <is> just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. All right.
0: <laughs> Let's move on to uh, question number four already. And this one is from Mitch. And Mitch says, I'm a double bass luthier. My family and I are weeks away from closing on a house with a 400-square-foot shop and a large one-and-a-half-car garage. My question is focused around varnish. Do you all find it wise to have a machine shop in a different room from your workbenches, hand-tool work, and varnishing? I would prefer to have everything as close as possible for efficiency, but the thought of a lack of sawdust in my primary workplace is quite enticing. Boy, double-based luthiers must be doing well, huh?
3: (laughs) bigger shop than mine I guess so <laughs> yeah,
2: doing twice as good as everyone else <laughs> I think you're going to have
3: sawdust issues no matter where you put it I mean I think if you're sanding a board at a bench you're probably throwing more dust into the air than you are planing stock with a good dust collector so I don't know if it's machine or hand tool makes that big of, of a difference mm-hmm. yeah the
2: problem I, the, like I was at first when I read this question I was like oh well this is easy you make one of them your finishing room. But then I started to think about it. It's a 400-square-foot shop. It's a big room. That's a big space. <clears throat> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a pretty big space. 20 by 20. Yeah. And then he has a one-and-a-half-car garage. So I think what I would do is I'd put my machinery in the one-and-a-half-car garage with a dust collector. And then I'd make that 400-square-foot space my bench room. Which uh, will be easier. It won't be – you won't have all the fine dust. You'll still have dust, but it won't be – What am I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you'll still have some dust, right? So, yeah. But it'll be a less dusty place, hmm. I yeah. think.
3: Kitchen. No dust in a kitchen. No dust.
0: <laughs> There's dust in a kitchen. <laughs> no dust in the master bedroom. Um,
3: I don't know where he is, but I think heating concerns would be an issue – I know at least for finishing and also for comfort so I would want my bench room to be in the coziest.
2: I think he was from Texas. Yeah, Texas. Oh, so. sounds right. Uh yeah, you would want it to be in a conditioned space. So like your shop that this 400 square foot place you can probably insulate it pretty easy and whatever you got to do down in Texas you probably just have to cool it mostly depending on where I mean it's, it's yeah. still get cold <laughs> in Texas but um It's a nice luxury door, a nice problem to have. Yeah. Which shop (laughs) should I put put my bench? I know. Um, You and the previous guy should hook up. Meanwhile, I (laughs) I spent, you know... (laughs) You can buy hand tools and you can give them shop space. (laughs) Every evening I'm
0: dancing with a uh, a lolly column in my basement and it's driving me crazy.
2: (laughs) But I've often thought... I was recently talking talking about this with somebody and they were asking me what my ideal shop would be. And my ideal shop would actually be more than one building. I, I would really like to have a small cluster of buildings probably two and one of them would be my machine room and it would be connected by a lanai or some other type of covered walkway to my bench room and a pergola
0: no there'd be no <laughs> pergolas how many
2: people
1: turn this off at lanai <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: well you should Matt's know a simple is.
1: man with simple
2: needs yeah. <laughs> um, Terr-
0: terraced gardens outside
2: Yes. Um. With yeah, terraced gardens. Uh. But that would be ideal to me, not to have the machines in my bench room, but to have them close to the bench room.
0: Hmm. Well, wow. That's, that's
2: <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> I'm just happy to have a space that has lights. Yeah. Or if you had one space, like one big building, you would. I would have them separated off by doors that could they were easy and not in the way.
3: Yeah. You know what I would definitely want two spaces for one for freaking lumber. You had your little sort of grotto over there. You could throw a lot of lumber in, man. I would love to have a lot of lumber and I would love for none of it to be in my shop. If I wasn't working on it.
2: Yes, that's true.
3: Now I have the worst of both worlds. I have very little lumber and it's taking up too much space. (laughs)
2: Well, it's true. Lumber storage is huge. That's true. I would also build... And and lumber storage is easy because it doesn't need to be insulated. It doesn't need to be heated or anything. So you can just make some kind of covered space. And I would probably put walls up that allowed actually air to circulate through Right, but keep it from the elements. Keep it from the elements. And uh, that's actually something else that I've already... Because I'm looking for a place now and thinking, okay, well, how am I going to build lumber storage? Yeah. Couldn't the lumber storage be in your lanai? No. No. Oh, okay. That's where the... That's uh, the lanai. Where else am I (laughs) going to put my water fountain? (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, my...
3: Your bubbler.
1: (laughs) My
2: bubbler.
3: (laughs) But that kind of goes back to your... the article you liked on cherry, in that I think when you're first starting out, oak is oak, cherry is cherry, what kind of wood am I going to make this out of? And then you realize uh, kind of, it really gets down to tree to tree. What tree do these boards come from? And I think the more you start to become aware of that sort of thing, it makes it more difficult to design a piece that you want to make without having the lumber. And then you have to go out and buy it. It's like, nah, this is not the oak I envisioned. So I don't think it's a luxury. I think after a while it becomes kind of a necessity that you have a stock of lumber on hand because I think the lumber you have will start to go hand in hand with what you make because the two begin to marry up. Like Nakashima on their compound, they have barns filled with walnut slabs and they'll go out for a project. It's like they're like rock climbing through these Mm -hmm. mountains of stacked slabs looking for the right slab for the piece and the slab they find sort of then starts to inform the piece exactly what they make from that. So yeah, more lumber storage.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah actually, and going back to the thing is like with cherry, and he identified five different types of cherry. I think I could probably add like five different types of rifts on cherry. Yeah, you know, and it's like there's this, and it's got the you know the the <laughs> grains too wide, and da, 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 this and that, and it really does. You like you want to? Oh yeah. When I go to the lumber yard and you look through a stack of cherry i see you know like 10 15 20 different things there it's like mm-hmm. none none of that is right this one board is the only one that's right yeah and yeah you have to have somewhere to store that this we did not answer this guy's question did we
0: yeah sure we did i think we gave but him the answer <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: gave him the
3: answer he needed not the one he asked for yeah, that's
2: right <laughs> yes <laughs> We give the answers they need, not the answers they deserve. Because if you're like
3: writing into this podcast with a question, really, like... We know what
2: you want. Yeah,
3: you're expecting useful information out of this. I don't think so.
2: (laughs) We give lots of useful information, just not about the questions that are asked.
0: (laughs) Ready, Ben? Yep. Next. uh, We didn't even talk about a title for this. Title for what? For the next segment. Woodworking resolutions. It says it right up behind you. Oh. It's kind of dull, don't you think?
1: Well, I didn't think about it very long. Well. <sighs> All
0: right. Well, it's time for fine woodworkings. <laughs> woodworking resolutions for 2018. Considering <laughs> it's
3: 2018
2: right now.
0: <laughs> it's 2000. Is it
2: 2018? Let's do the time warp. I maybe. still haven't severed up from Chris- <laughs> New Year's Eve in my shop, <clears throat> crying lonely tears.
3: <laughs> All right. This was your um, idea, Matt. Yeah,
2: woodworking resolution. Yes, it was. <laughs> So, it up first. so uh, for 2018, my number one woodworking resolution is: I would like to have a book come out. <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> kidding. How about you, Mike? <laughs> uh, I would like it to come out in May of 2018 when it, it start to go on sale. Uh, no, actually, my resolution for this year. Look okay, at that's, that's my all-time favorite cover, actually. Uh. I am going to – one of the things I would want to do is I have this uh, dresser in my bedroom, and it is from a certain large box store or a flat pack furniture store. And it's actually surprisingly useful. Does it rhyme with Ikea? <laughs> <laughs> it does rhyme with Ikea. Um, and it's it actually surprisingly – it's very compact. And it holds all of my clothing uh, for the most part. You know, not – obviously it doesn't hold the hanging up stuff. But um, – or my collection of lovely sweaters. But um, <laughs> it could though. Well, I really like it except that it's ugly. Sure. And – Paint it. <laughs> and that would solve the issues. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. That's my resolution for this year is to paint my dresser. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so – my but it's not and it's also not my style right it's a it's an Ikea style, you know it's whatever and uh so but it's a good size and it functions well, so my plan, and I wonder how what else I could do this with is to take this piece of furniture and redesign it in my style and make it something that I would make, but maintain the size and functionality of it cool. so Um, you know, like one thing is it has three drawers, large drawers on this side, on this side, it has a door and behind the door it has three shelves, which I think is kind of lame. So I actually would want to make that three drawers. And just like that is interesting because normally you, people put small drawers across the top of a chest of drawers, right? Well, here they would be down the side with large drawers here. And so the challenge there is to take something that some way is already predefined for you and redesign it to make it an expression of your own design aesthetic. That's cool. So that's uh, something that I want to do this year. And you might think, well, God, that's pretty easy because it's just a test of drawers. But, I mean, you got to factor in doing that with everything else that I have going on in my life, you know, a job, being a parent, et cetera. Yeah. So, that's a.
3: I think that's an awesome point because you know you, it's pretty typical to look down at mass-produced furniture. Oh, that's bad and blah blah blah. But the thing that factory-made furniture has going for it is they have like professional, full-time furniture designers designing the stuff. And yeah, if it's sort of that lowest common denominator, something American-ish, something brownish mm-hmm. for everyone to like, that's bad. But like IKEA. Their design sensibilities are fantastic. And, yeah, it's all built to yeah. hit a certain price yeah. point, and it's all RTA. However, like you said, the underlying designs in a lot of that furniture is a pretty nice springboard for jumping into your own furniture from. That's yeah. Could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, plus, yeah. it's a
0: great place to go on a afternoon to walk the around meatballs. that place. Oh, the meatballs! meatballs. <laughs> meatballs. Someone's going to bring out the meatballs. <laughs> so but, fish, but it's very functional furniture. And they, you know, in someone had suggested I'm, I'm in the process of, of redesigning my kitchen, and someone had said, "Hey, IKEA makes you know pretty cool cabinets," and I was looking at their kitchen cabinets too, and I was like, "Wow, they do make pretty nice looking cabinets."
2: But yeah, um, actually, kitchen cabinetry in Europe is something that's commonly taken by a person from abode to abode. Huh? Oh, that's funny. And so I, I, makes I, Ikea makes stuff like that, that yeah. hangs on rails that you, and you just can move with them. Um, but yeah, it's like, cause one of the things is like, well, how big of a dresser do I need? And you don't really know. I mean, how are you going to figure that out? I guess you could get a bunch of boxes and put your stuff Fill them with, with sand. Fill them with sand. I need this much volume. Yeah, and then weigh the sand. <laughs> weigh the sand. Uh, and then you know convert it to mouse heartbeats and <laughs> you have your answer that's getting granular but uh, but now i know it's like this actually works for my clothing and um, and actually something else it convinced me of is that it has really nice slides on the drawers so i'm like you know in, in the past i would have thought you know i'm just going to make traditional drawers that slide out on just the wood right mm-hmm. but it's like actually these soft clothes drawers are really nice so it's like okay now I think I'll invest in some nice undermount uh, drawer slides that have soft clothes cool you know and make it something that is uh, does you know custom look to it but also has the advantages of modern design yeah you know very cool so that's funny it's very similar to I mean
0: I hope you don't mind if I just jump in because mine is pretty close. I have a um I have a wall cabinet, a wall shelf that I had made, you know, a few years ago. Um and I I look at it every day and I keep thinking, man, you know, the sides are too fat. The I use really bad drawer pulls. you know, like the proportions are okay, but they're not where I'm at today. So I was thinking that I'd like to Look at something like that that I've made previously and redo it and try to, you know, put it into where I'm at today in terms of joinery and design and things like that. So that's my, uh, my goal is to take that cabinet and reimagine it sort of like what Matt's cool. doing with his Ikea piece. Will you,
2: cool. will you also redo your fish that you made in high school? Oh, I should. You should
0: redo I, your that's fish. That's hugely popular on Instagram. I keep getting private messages about it. Every time someone talks about a wallfish, I get, I get a notification about it. I'm like, okay.
2: Uh, but you know, so actually here's, I just had a great idea. It's a well of an idea for another book. Cause I, my next book, I had an idea for it, but now I think here's a good idea for a book. Pick out like 10 pieces of furniture from Ikea and remake them and then get sued by Ikea. But re, that would be kind of cool. That would be a cool design exercise. Hmm. That would be. That'd
0: be a great book for Lost Art Press.
2: <laughs> just, to be, just to
3: be really clear here, neither one of those are resolutions. Those are just like, what do you plan on making? I'm going to make this. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to make this.
0: That's not a resolution. <laughs> well, that's well, sort of, like, like, you know, maybe my big resolution is to, you know, spend more time and have more fun in the shop. There it is. Yeah, but that's really boring.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly
0: what
3: mine is. So, Is it? Uh, my resolution is to, um, spend five more minutes a day in my shop on the days that I'm in my shop. Get out there five minutes earlier. That's it. I can do that.
0: That is it, it, not going to make you five minutes later to work.
3: No, so I'm getting there early. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> the second part of my resolution is getting into work five minutes later.
2: Because I like to the say five minutes later, not five minutes late. But five minutes later. No, 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 there's, a, there's a little there a difference is. there. That
0: R carries a lot of weight.
2: Yes.
3: <laughs> so five minutes a day more times. Say I'm conservatively, I'm in the shop 300 days a year. Um, that's like. 24, 25 extra hours, which is a lot. But here's the thing. It actually works out to be a lot more than that because, okay, January, five minutes earlier, five minutes earlier. But then, like, by, like, March, you forget what time you were supposed to be in the shop, and you just go five minutes earlier than that. So now you're really 10 minutes earlier than your March time. But if you
2: forget what time you're supposed to be there, how could you go five minutes earlier than that time? Well,
3: because it's like – it isn't like 6.05 – Instead of six o'clock, it's more like, okay, just like whatever time it is, it needs to be five minutes before that. Like, spend, get out of bed five minutes earlier, but that could be, it's a random number. On what, a weekend, it's a different time. What,
2: what time is it now, Ben?
3: See, no one knows. Time
2: to move on. <laughs> 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 Bang. Time is a human construct. <laughs> yes, it is. So, that's a good. Re- I don't know. I don't know if I have a resolution. Why is mine's a resolution? I've resolved to build my dresser. I yeah. put off building a dresser for years and years and years, and I'm not going to do it anymore.
3: My other resolution is every time I plan on eating four pieces of pizza, I'm going to eat three.
2: I should do the same with tacos because I always say I should have gotten two tacos, but yeah. I get three tacos. Yep.
3: Mm. every time every time every time today is tuesday taco
2: tuesday Tuesday. no it's not today's friday mike (laughs) happy new year (laughs) 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 it's fajita friday looks like it's snowing
0: out there
3: (laughs) i'm getting me some tacos today that's all i can say
0: it's taco friday every day
3: is taco day i told i told i let it slip to my wife she goes are you like packing your lunch today no, it's Taco Tuesday. She goes, you mean you eat tacos every Tuesday? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> last Tuesday, my wife asked me what I had for lunch. I was like, the taco, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and she was like, like, of course we're eating tacos. It's Tuesday.
2: Yes. I had tacos uh, two nights ago and tacos last night. Mm. And I'm going to eat tacos today for lunch.
0: Enough said. Enough said. Yeah. Boom. All right, let's get to uh, the last, hopefully, question. I thought that was the outro. (laughs) (laughs) This one comes from Scott, and Scott says, I acquired a pretty nice set of mismatched old chisels, and at least a couple of them have a pretty severe concave shape to their back. It's severe enough that I feel like I'm going to misshape the socket end of the chisel if I try to lap them flat. Should I correct them or should I leave them be? They are usable in their current shape, just not optimal. He means shape, both
2: literally and figuratively. Yeah. Oh.
0: Um. Boy, uh, that's that's no comparison to Taco Tuesday.
2: No. So they must. So they obviously they have a bow where the, the, the middle leg. is higher than the two ends, rather than it. So it's 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 okay. like a frown See, yeah, rather price. than a smile along yeah. its length. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is weird.
3: That is weird. That is weird. Yeah. But. I've seen it the other way. Like big long chisels, they can be the other way so you can kinda of lift the handle up off
2: the yes. surface
3: a little bit. You got some weird chisels there, my friend.
2: Yeah, actually I'm wondering about his, his evaluation of them as being pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> not so sure about that. They're great for brickwork. Yeah. <laughs> um I'd s- work
3: on just that inch or so back from the tip. That way you can just get sharp. Leave the profiles what they are. Yeah. Get them sharp and use them and then just see if you want to invest the effort to get them flat, flat. I don't know if you do.
2: Yeah. I. Yeah, I don't know. if I, I would not personally because, one, it will take forever. Yeah. And, two, you might actually mess up the chisel. I mean, I, we haven't seen them, so we don't know how bad this curve is. Uh, it's got to be curved. it's got to be pretty bad if he's worried about hitting the the socket end, right? I on, an, think... on an eight
0: inch or so length. That's... Yeah,
2: <laughs> it just you could always cut it in half and then glue it <laughs> to take out that bow, <laughs> <laughs> and then join each end of it and then glue it back together. I, I I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen them, but I would do what Mike said. If they're usable, right? You really only need like the first inch, yeah. for mm-hmm. most work. Um, and then, if you find a case where you need something that's truly flat for the length of like it, like
3: a long pairing chisel, like a long
2: pairing chisel, then buy that chisel yeah. and make sure that it's in good condition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and honestly, I'd probably end up chucking them. Not chucking them, but just letting them sit in a drawer and I'd buy something new. Yeah. It's always, I mean, you can always find an excuse to buy something new.
3: Yeah, or new old.
2: Too hard. New old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this is. But if you go to buy old chisels, like if you go to the thrift, the flea market, mm-hmm. you should take like a six inch rule with you, and oh. or a twelve inch rule, and just pop it on the bottom of a hand plane or a chisel back or whatever, and avoid stuff like this from the beginning. Yeah, if you can.
3: Don't worry about yeah. the handle. If you can put a new handle on there, don't worry about the bevel because you can grind yeah. a new bevel. Yeah. Look at the back, and it shouldn't be pitted. Right. Um, because if it's pitted, you just can't get it sharp. Yeah. and But if it's all rounded over on the back near the edge, no problem, you can grind that back to,
2: mm-hmm.
3: to f- a flat area. Don't try to flatten it if it's too much. You can just on a grinder take off, I don't know, a quarter of an inch or so if you have to to get mm-hmm. back to relatively flat stock. I
2: remember once you and I were at a woodworking show and there was like a market area. And there's a guy selling used tools, and he had all these great like old chisels. And I was like, "Oh, I wanted you know a chisel like that, like this long or that wide or whatever." Mm -hmm. But this guy had gone through and back beveled all of the chisels. (laughs) Do you remember this? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he back beveled all the chisels, and I was just I got I was so angry because I was like, I'm not wasting my time correcting your stupidity. You know, I should, well, that was kind of harsh. That but. was really harsh. <laughs> but, but, ouch. Yeah. Oh, but he like, you it was like not an insignificant back bevel. It was like a, you know, like a eighth of an inch or yeah. a quarter inch or something. It was fast
3: like, way to
0: get sharp.
2: Yeah. It's like, why would you do that anyways? So, yeah.
0: All right. I think I already know what Mac's uh, recommendation is going to be.
2: No. Don't back bevel. No, don't <laughs> back bevel your chisels. Well, I mean,
0: the chiseled back has to be dead flat in
3: order for it to, Perform well because that's often the reference surface yeah. for the tool. Yeah. So if you're, you know, pairing to a line or or pairing a, a peg flush to a surface, if it's rounded and you have to lift up the tool, oh, forget it. Yeah. All bets are off now. So
2: a big problem. A, a chisel has to be flat for that first inch or so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, has right. to be. Yeah. Mike, why don't you start with the recommendations? What recommendations? Let's wrap
0: this thing up with some recommendations.
3: Uh, every Tuesday, just. Go eat I a taco. Have a taco.
0: <laughs>
3: you know, it, there's some foods that are maybe health wise bad for you, but a lot of foods are like emotionally good for you, and it's just gonna you know something to look forward to, get you through the Sunday and the Monday, Taco Tuesday. Next thing you know, it's Thursday. You're looking at Friday and Saturday, and the week's gone.
2: Yeah, like everyone, like they would never scoff at eating a sandwich every day for lunch. Sure, taco is just. South of the border sandwich. Yes. And you could eat one every day for Actually, lunch. Actually, that would be and a, tortoise, but, yeah. <laughs> <Not> a tortoise. But <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> Anyways, I don't really know that much about it, but <laughs> eat a taco every day for lunch, folks. Do <laughs> you right? Every day. Ouch. I'm just right. going to go on
0: Tuesdays. Right. Uh, how about you, Matt?
2: Uh, so, my recommendation, I hopefully, this will get Ben upset, is if you wear glasses like I do and Tom does, uh, buy a pair of glasses specifically for the shop. And that'll do two things for you. One thing for you. Your good glasses that you wear every day are not going to get all screwed up in the shop, which they get dust all over them. They might get finished on them. They're going to get scratched up eventually. And then you can just have shop glasses. And if you're going to do that, and I'm going to recommend this, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, go to zinni.com and get them there. Because you can get them for like 30 bucks with bifocals. Uh, And that's what I do. And uh, it's fantastic to always have a pair of glasses that are the right prescription, that have the right bifocal, and that when they start to get scratched up, it's not a big deal to buy a new pair for like 30 or 40 bucks.
0: That's almost cheaper than uh, the reading glasses I, I buy.
2: Yeah, I have a pair of reading glasses that are like $20. Yeah. And I, I, I do keep a pair of reading glasses
0: separately just in my shop because I find it hard to woodwork with my glasses on for whatever reason. Yeah. Also, I think
3: it's, it's really cool to have some um, sort of ritual or separation just to sort of break your train of thought from when you're everyday life and then you, when you get into the shop, you should be like mentally focused and in the shop. It could be anything from putting on an apron to turning the music on or putting on a different pair of glasses. Okay. Picking,
2: picking up cat poop. When Mr. Rogers came home.
3: That's, I was going to say that, that. He
2: needed to be ready to talk to all them kids. Yeah. He changed his shoes and his sweater. Yeah, now, Before I go into the shop. Ben, I changed my boots and I changed my glasses.
1: I'm cool with the glasses, the boots still
2: weird to
3: me. <laughs>
1: no,
0: I think that's
2: cool. I have shop shoes.
3: Yeah,
0: I take my shoes off before. I, if I if Everybody's I don't take weird. my shoes off, I drag sawdust up into the all areas of the house. So shop shoes.
2: And a, shop boots you don't have to worry about them getting all messed up yeah. at the lumberyard or in the shop. It doesn't matter. You can you know. That's a bonus recommendation. Yeah. Shop shoes. <laughs> there you go. For that matter, get yourself some (laughs) (laughs) shop (laughs) pants.
0: All right. My recommendation is uh, come to uh, Final Woodworking Live in April. Boom.
2: Boom. That'll be fun. All right. In in by 52 boxes in 52 weeks in May. (laughs) In May.
0: (laughs) The author of that book is going to be alive. Yes. And uh, that's it for this episode of Shop Talk Live. Please spread the word about Shop Talk Live to your woodworking friends and neighbors shop talk live is dependent on your questions and comments so make sure to send them into shoptalk@taunton.com. at taunton.com if you're watching on youtube please click that thumbs up button finally you can keep up with fine woodworking on instagram and on facebook and look for all of us on instagram as well thanks for listening and have fun in the shop there's your new year's resolution
2: have fun in the shop
0: now
3: The other thing about getting into the shop five minutes earlier during the day, that's actually the same as getting into work five minutes earlier because shop time and work time, it's all the same. (laughs) (laughs) They all are an investment in the craft. So,
2: In your time at the magazine.
3: Yes, it's all the same.